0: Hey everybody, this is Troy, one of the pastors at First Church of the Nazarene. Thank you for listening to the podcast. It is a glimpse into the life of our church. We are ordinary people being transformed into passionate followers of Jesus. And we are committed to join God in the remaking of all things. I pray that this sermon is a blessing and helps you join God today. If we can serve you in any way, we would love to... Please get a hold of us at LafayetteNaz.org. Have a great day. Hey, good morning. Welcome to worship. My name is Troy. It's my privilege to serve as one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to welcome you to worship this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have your Bibles with you this morning, the words will be on the screen for you. We're going to read a decent little chunk of Scripture uh, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Alright, this is the word of the Lord. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people who are God's own possession. And you have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends... Since you are immigrants and strangers in the world, I urge you to avoid the worldly desires that wage war against your lives. Live honorably among the unbelievers. Today, they defame you as if you were doing evil, but in the day when God visits to judge, they will glorify him because they have observed your honorable deeds." Now listen, I've been praying a lot about this week's message because I really believe that this has some potential to spark something significant in the lives of so many of us because I think so many of us are in this exact spot. If, you're, if this is the first week you've, you've joined us recently, we are in a sermon series called Different. And in this sermon series, we're talking about the ways that God has called us to himself so that we can reflect who God is To the world. We've mentioned and we've we've talked about how we're designed to live differently than people around us. We've kind of landed on a catchphrase that if we want to make a difference in the world, and most of us do, then the first thing that needs to happen is we need to be willing to be made different because only those who are willing to be made different can actually make a difference in the world. And we've looked at the book of 1 Peter for most of these sermons, and so today we're there again. And if I were to ask you this morning, how many of you would like to know for certain that God was calling you to do something? How many of you would get excited about that? I, I, I think a lot of us would say, man, I'm completely in. If God is in fact calling me specifically to do something specific, then I want to know what it is that God is calling me to do. So I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about how God is calling you, drawing you, setting you apart to do something unique and different in the world that only you can do. Now I'll give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes about how I studied for and prepared for this sermon series. Sometimes when I know that I'm going to be heavy in one book of the Bible in a sermon series, what I'll do is I'll read through a commentary. And I'll just kind of, for those of you who don't know what a commentary is, a commentary is a book that's written by a biblical scholar to help people who aren't biblical scholars understand the nuance and the specific language and the context of the book of the Bible. And it's really great reading if you ever need a nap. Like if you ever need to fall asleep, that's what you grab off your bookshelf. So sometimes I start there, but I didn't in preparation for this series. What I did is I read 1 Peter over and over and over and over and over again because I wanted to discover what was on Peter's heart for myself. And I noticed that Peter used the same word so many times throughout this book of the Bible that I was actually stunned. If you read through 1 Peter, if you ever do this yourself, here's what you'll discover. He uses the word call or calling or called over and over and over again. Because Peter wants to make it clear. You... And I, we've been called, we've been set apart for something unique. Let me persuade you of that this morning by making it very direct. You, today, as you are, God has and is calling you. He has chosen you for something unique in the world. Whenever you've been chosen for something, or whenever you've been called for something, it kind of like builds some anticipation. It kind of like empowers you. It emboldens you. There's this old teacher trick that if there's a child in the classroom that's having a tough day, bad behavior, like they're just kind of struggling a little bit. A lot of times kids do that because they're looking for attention. Something that you can do is you can, when it's time to choose a line leader, you can choose that kid. You can call that kid. And all of a sudden now they're emboldened. They're empowered. They feel this special sense of uniqueness and calling that they will be the one who will valiantly lead their classmates out of the classroom and down the hall, into the cafeteria. No one else is uniquely suited or capable to do that job today, but they are. And all of a sudden they just feel this sense of empowerment. Oh, I do have something unique to do. There's something about being assigned to do something that creates this sense of anticipation. It emboldens you. And I want to show you today by walking our way through 1 Peter, that passage that we just read, that you and I were chosen, were called. And because of that, we are empowered to live a different kind of life. Now, whenever we talk about calling, a lot of times people get all confused. and like, what exactly are we we talking about? What am I going to do? What does God want me to do? I think there's three types of calling that show up in this scripture today. And I specifically want to talk about the third type. But here they are, the three types of calling. First of all, there's this general call. All of us have this. This general call to follow Christ. All of us have been chosen and set apart and uniquely called to be followers of Jesus. In fact, the Holy Spirit is doing a work today here in this room and all around the world wooing people and winning people and drawing people and reshaping desires so that people have a spiritual appetite and hunger because it is God's will that no one, no one on this earth should perish. And God wants everyone to say yes to the invitation to become a follower of Jesus. Because if you know the story of Peter's life, the, one, the person that we think wrote this letter, you realize he understands this general call to follow Jesus. Because Jesus walks up as Peter is doing his day job. He's a fisherman. And, and, and Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, throw the nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter's probably thinking, listen, man, I know how to fish. It's how I make my living. You can't teach me. But he did it anyway and the net, the nets and the haul of fish were so large and he recognized this miraculous catch that this wasn't any ordinary person. He fell down on his knees before Jesus and he said, listen, I'm sinful and I don't know if I'm worthy to be in your presence. And Jesus said, listen, by trade, you are a fisherman, but from now on, you'll no longer just fish for fish. You'll fish for people. Come and follow me. And Jesus called Peter from where he was, out of where he was, into this lifelong journey to become a follower of Jesus. And most of us don't have a story that dramatic of conversion, but all of us have been extended this general invitation, this general calling. You are called To follow Jesus. That's the first type of call. The second type of call is this. And a lot of people get really excited about this type of call. It's like this call to a vocation or an assignment. You might feel this temporary call to a place or to a people. You might feel called to a particular role. You might feel called to study something in college. You might feel called to be a nurse or to be a teacher. You might feel called to be a witness wherever you are. You might feel called to go on a mission trip. You might feel called to a certain part of the world to make a difference. This is a calling to an assignment, to a vocation. And that's the second type. But what I want to really talk about is the third type. And it's the calling that most of us overlook, but it's a calling that God is placing on all of our lives. And it's this. You are called to a different standard of life. You are called to a different standard of life. God is calling us to live daily on a different level. When we think of calling, we tend to think of the do. What will I do? What am I called to do? But God doesn't start there. God starts with the who before he ever gets to the do. You understand this? Our God is more concerned with who you are. He's concerned with that first. And then secondly, he's concerned with what you would do. Because if the who is not right, the do will never be right. God is concerned about motives, about heart, about integrity. He's concerned with the who because the who leads to the do. I like to say it like this. I like to say it this way. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Now, Peter, that we just read from, Peter was writing to a group of people who were living in the first century, and these Christians that he was writing to were tempted to forget who they were. They were tempted to forget who they were because they faced such significant opposition and such severe persecution. You know, sometimes I hear the church today talking about how nobody likes us, how people in culture don't, don't respect us or revere us or look up to us. And I imagine that if people in the first century ancient Near East Heard us talking, they would look at us and they would say, "Wow, wow, wow!" Because ain't none of us losing our lives, ain't none of us in fear that at someday we could too could be strung up on a cross and persecuted, or put into an arena and watch as a pack of animals devour us. I mean, we'll talk about all of this more in the coming weeks, but the first century followers of Jesus that Peter is writing to in this letter that we read, they were so hated that our level of persecution would almost be comical to them today. In fact, what most people thought about them in their world is that they were superstitious, that they were incestuous, and check this out, that they actually were cannibals. That's the story that was told about followers of Jesus. They were superstitious because there were all of these miracles that were happening in their midst, so they must all be some sort of sorcerers or magicians. They were incestuous because they had these things called love feasts or agape feasts where they would just gather around the meal and anyone and everyone was invited and they would serve each other and they would empty their bank accounts to make sure that everybody's needs were taken care of at this thing. If they had some person had extra, they shared. It was this, this, this just beautiful dinner meal centered around love. But they thought people thought they were incestuous because when they asked them who was invited to these love feasts, Christians were in the habit of calling other Christians brother and sister. So they would say, our brothers and our sisters, and people would say, oh, you guys are inviting your brothers and your sisters to a love feast? You guys really are weird. That's how misters understood they are. And then third, they thought they were cannibals because of that line that Jesus said, take and eat my body, which is broken for you. So here we have this world, this culture that they live in that hated followers of Jesus, tried to execute them and wanted them dead, completely misunderstood them, and before Peter tells them what they are supposed to do, he reminds them, this is who you are. If you want to know what you're called to do, you first have to start with an understanding of who you are and i want you to understand that who you are you are exactly as peter says it so first peter chapter 2 verse 9 peter says this this is who you are you are a chosen people you are royal priests you are a holy nation who are you you are god's own possession and reading these words these first century christians their imaginations and their minds would have exploded with the possibility and the reality that this is who they really are. They're chosen by God and adopted into this royal family where they have all sorts of access and heirs to the throne. But they're not just by themselves. They've been placed in this holy nation. They are God's own treasured possession And as a result of all of this, Peter says this, because of that, because of who you are, this is what you can do. You can show others the goodness of God. Because this is what's universally true. When you know who you are, you'll know what you're supposed to do. So what did God do? God called you. He called you. He called you. Me. And he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You and I, we've been called. We've been chosen. We've been invited. We're no longer living in the darkness. Now we're in the light. Our lives have been completely changed from the tips of our toes to the very top of our head. We are not what we once were because of Jesus. We are a new creation. The old is completely gone Everything that is new has come to us as a gift. We've been transformed by the love of Jesus and we've been set apart and called. And what I hope you will understand is that when you know who you are deep into your bones, you will recognize what you are called to do. Now, here's the thing. The skeptical world today doesn't like Christians. I get it but they don't call us superstitious, incestuous, or cannibals. I mean, people are skeptical of followers of Jesus today, and they call us self-righteous and judgmental and intolerant. And listen, that's the world that we live in, and we have to wrestle with that today. And tragically, there are many so-called Christians who have rightly earned those labels and those titles. I mean, you can just look at current events today and you can see, and I would argue that the people you see saying these things and earning the labels that are handed down to them are people possessed not not by the spirit of Jesus, but something else. And they are spewing hate and they're spewing bigotry and racism and sexism in the name of God. And let me be perfectly honest with you, that is an affront to God that is something that is unacceptable to the church and we won't tolerate it or stand for it. And that is a sin against God. And we see this done all of the time. And we have to be honest with ourselves that that is the image that Christians are up against today. And Peter's going to say the same thing to those first century Christians as he would to us. This is your calling. Your calling is to live daily on a different level, on a new standard. Your calling is to daily represent Jesus to a skeptical world. Here it is. If you want to know what you're called to do, I'm going to walk you through a few verses. You'll know who you are and you'll see what you are to do. And so Peter says this, Dear friends or beloved, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Remember, you're not from here. And so since you're not from here, you follow a different standard. Let me say it again, because we've got to convince ourselves of this. Our allegiance as followers of of Jesus, is to the cross, first and foremost. We do not pledge allegiance to anything more than we pledge allegiance to Jesus and to His cross. And so since we are not from here, we can live according to the rules and the standard that has been given to us through the crucified and the resurrected Jesus. And so he says this, I warn you, Keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Because then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So since we know who we are, What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live honorably among our unbelieving neighbors. Now notice something here. Peter doesn't say, hey, your first job is to convince them to believe what you believe. What he says is, we are going to show them what we believe by the way we behave. We are going to live honorably And I believe it with all of my heart that in today's culture, there are times that we need to begin living honorably by professing the name of Jesus. But so often, we have to earn credibility by treating people with love, with grace, with respect, before we ever earn the right to be able to show people what we believe. We need to show people what we believe by how we behave, and that builds a bridge with skeptical people so that the love of Jesus can be shared and enjoyed. In other words, before I tell you what I believe, I want to show you love by how I live. And I believe, as Christians, that is so important especially today. And Peter has this real confidence, and it is a confidence, just live like Jesus and live like Jesus boldly. But he isn't saying you have to be defensive all the time. And of course, there's a time to defend what we believe. There's a time to defend the gospel. But like any good coach would say, the best defense is what? a good offense. The best defense is a good offense. And so sometimes as followers of Jesus, the way, the best way to defend what we believe is a good offense to show the goodness of God and the way that we actually live. And so he says, live honorably among your unbelieving neighbors. And if you jump down to verse 15 of chapter 2, I love this. He says, And he begins the sentence with this. It's God's will. And what is God's will for your life? Here is God's will. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Listen, I don't know if I can say it any clearer than he does. It's about how we live. It's the way we live. It's not just what we post or share on social media, it's the way we live that silences the talk of people who don't know better. And so, what is our strategy as a church? What, is our, what are we called to do as God's people? We are called to confidently and boldly share the love of Jesus by loving irrationally and giving extravagantly. And serving people faithfully and throwing great meals and inviting the wrong crowd and do it over and over and over and over. And it won't reach everyone, but over time with consistency and integrity, we will reach some if we live up rightly in a way that truly gets the attention of the world. This is what we do as followers of Jesus. This is how we serve. And Peter says hey, if you live honorable lives over time, you may just silence those people who make foolish accusations against you. And he goes on to say in verse 21, do you know what you're called to do? Here's what you're called to do. For God called you to do good. God called you to do good. That's your calling to do good, even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you. I think that the, one of the trickiest things about following Jesus in our day and age is the temptation to rail against culture versus understanding who God has said that we are. And out of the understanding of who God says we are, living into the reality of what God has called us to do. God says we're to live our lives honorably amongst people, so honorably that they see the good that we do, and it reminds them of who God is and what God is like. And what an unbelievable responsibility to begin to start to think that our life, you and I, our life, that our life is God's plan for the redemption and the rescue of the world by transforming us through the power of his spirit into people that resemble Jesus so that through our very lives, people would get a sense of who God is and they wouldn't praise us or glorify us, but their attention would be drawn to the one who sent us into the world. How beautiful is it to begin to believe that you and I are not just on the front lines of God's defense to create a fence around all that God believes, but you and I have been sent out by His very Spirit into the world to be on God's offense, to do good in the world, to live honorably in the world, to the point where people would say of them, that is so different, but we only get there, to that place if we first start by understanding exactly who you are. You've been called. You haven't just been given a general call to be a follower of Jesus. You haven't just been given a call to a specific place or to a specific vocation. You have been called to a certain way of life, to live a certain kind of life, to live an honorable life in the midst of a dishonorable world not so that we can put ourselves on some sort of pedestal, but so that we can rightly reflect the love of God made known to us in Jesus Christ, who sent us into the world to the glory of God the Father. I think as followers of Jesus, we get those first two steps of the dance down. We understand we've been called to be a follower of Jesus. We understand we've been called to a specific place or even to a specific vocation. But I think we often forget every single day we have been called to live according to God's standard so that we can adequately, adequately reflect him to the world.